Welcome to the ASHP Advantage Podcast, engaging the experts on ASHP Official, featuring conversations with top-level practitioners about the latest issues in pharmacy and healthcare. Thank you for joining us for Therapeutic Thursday's podcast. This podcast provides an opportunity to listen in as members to sit down to discuss what's new and ongoing in the world of therapeutics. Today's episode is part of the ASHP Advantage podcast series, Engaging the Experts, featuring conversations with top-level practitioners. My name is Kevin Gary. I'm a professor at the University of Houston. I will be your host today. With me today are Krishna Rao, Assistant Professor of Infectious Diseases at the University of Michigan, and Eric DeBerkey, Professor of Infectious Diseases and Transplantation at Washington University School of Medicine. Both are considered world's experts in C. diff infection, which is timely because that is today's podcast. This episode is supported by an educational grant from Merck. This podcast series examines C. diff in the human microbiome. This podcast is for informational purposes and not approved for continuing education credit. Additional activities on this topic are available at www.ashpadvantage.com backslash high-risk C. diff. Thanks for joining us today, Krishna and Eric. Let's get started talking about today's topic, C. diff therapeutics and the microbiome. Now, for any listeners who have started with this podcast, immediately stop and go to our previous podcast where we were talking about Microbiome 101. Uh, For those that maybe have some time deficiency, uh, Krishna, I'd like to start with you. And if you haven't just listened to a 30-minute podcast on the microbiome, in a couple of minutes, can you get us up to speed on the relationship between the human microbiome in health and disease, there's no pressure here. Obviously, this is an emerging field. Uh, Krishna, take it away. Oh, boy. Well, thanks, Kevin, for that uh, easy task of summarizing (laughs) a very uh, simple topic. Uh, But no, I think the way I guess I would summarize that is that um, there's this complex ecosystem of microbes, bacteria, viruses, archaea, fungi that reside on us and within us. Uh, these, these microbial communities provide some direct benefits to us. So, for example, in the gut, they provide the functions of bile acid metabolism, uh, production of short-chain fatty acids. They, they make vitamin D for us. Uh, but they're also, broadly speaking, involved in, in health and disease. And we've spent the past you know, decade and a half um, characterizing these communities in their various sites really well. Uh, we're beginning to understand the roles, the functional roles that these communities play. And both from a diagnostic and therapeutic perspective, this understanding is starting to show promise and starting to bear fruit. Awesome. Well, let's get right to it. This is a C. diff podcast. Let's let's go heavy C. diff on this one. Uh, Eric, starting with you, can, can you, like, you're, um, you've given this talk a thousand times, the pathophysiology of C. diff, why we get the, why we get this infectious disease. But really highlight the role of the microbiome in, in this explanation, please. Yeah, the, the microbiome really is our first line of defense against C. difficile infection. It's very effective at preventing colonization. And, and you know, even when people are colonized, if the microbiome is in a healthy state, the, the risk of developing C. difficile infection is, is very low. You know, the, you know, about 3% of otherwise healthy adults are colonized with C. diff infection or <laughs> colonized with C. diff. 
but do not have C. diff infection and, and the actual incidence of C. diff infection in otherwise healthy people is, is astronomically low. Um, I, I've done the calculations before. I don't remember it off the top of my head, but it's well less than you know, 0.01%. So, so colonization, not uncommon. Um, we're probably all periodically colonized, uh, but disease with otherwise in the, in the face of a healthy microbiome is extraordinarily uncommon. Uh, but if the microbiome becomes disrupted, and usually, you know, what we do that causes the most profound disruption that can increase the risk of colonization with C. diff is give antibiotics. Um, it creates a niche um, with, you know, kind of holes within the microbiome that C. diff is more than happy to fill if you happen to ingest some C. diff spores um, before those um, um, holes have an opportunity to fill up on their own. And then um, once that happens, again, in the setting of a disrupted microbiome, C. diff is much more likely than to grow become one of the more predominant organisms. And then as it you know, continues to grow, it then starts to produce toxins. And then it's the toxins then um, um, that kill the colonocytes and result in intense inflammation that leads to the symptoms of C. diff infection. Yeah, that's great. I, I'm actually drawing that figure in my head as you're describing it. Well, well done. Uh, Krishna, can you take a similar question, but go even deeper into the role of the antibiotics, sort of for our antimicrobial stewardship teams? a better understanding of the role of antibiotics as it relates to microbiome disruption. Yeah, so I think, um, you know, as, as has become common knowledge, um, you know, some antibiotics are higher risk for C. difficile infection um, than others. Uh, broadly speaking, the, the broad, uh, very uh, uh, disruptive antibiotics, um, such as to call out a few classes, um, the carbapenems uh, and some of the beta-lactam, beta-lactamase inhibitor combinations, um, the, the higher generation cephalosporins. These can be quite disruptive of the gut microbiota and can open up a, a lot of niches uh, that allow some of the bad actors that may already be present to bloom and, and grow and cause disruption of that community and interfere with some of the functions it provides can also result in loss of colonization resistance, which then allows uh, another bad actor like C. difficile um, to have spores enter the gut, germinate, and produce toxin and cause disease, as Eric nicely uh, reviewed. So in terms of the, uh, the antibiotics that we use um, to treat C. difficile, um, these actually could have potentially the same sort of effect. Um, so ironically, you know, one of the first things that we do to treat this infection that is often triggered or caused by antibiotics is to use antibiotics. Um, and one of the ones that's FDA approved to, to treat C. difficile infection is vancomycin, which itself is a fairly broad um, antibiotic that kills most gram positives that are present in the gut, not just C. difficile. And you know, that may be one of the reasons why people who are treated with vancomycin are still at um, some risk of having a recurrence. And that risk does seem to be higher than with one of the other drugs that's FDA approved to treat C. difficile infection, which is fidaxomycin. Uh, that drug is uh, much more narrow than, than vancomycin, doesn't kill nearly as much of the gut community. And that may be one of the reasons why it has a much lower recurrence risk um, with uh, treatment than vancomycin does, enough that the FDA actually granted it a superiority designation, not just a non-inferiority designation for that particular outcome. And you know, even while on vancomycin, uh, at least in animal models, uh, there are blooms of uh, C. difficile that can be seen and blooms of uh, vancomycin-resistant enterococci that can be seen. Uh, in these animal model systems. 
And I think Eric could probably elaborate on that a little bit more since he has a, a publication related to, to that. Um, but uh, yeah, broadly speaking, I think we do need to consider um, just how broadly we're affecting the gut community when we choose our antibiotics to treat the infection that's in front of us, including potentially when we're treating C. difficile itself. Krishna, that was great. That was a perfect lead-in too. I, I almost wonder if we all have the questions in front of us that we're reading <laughs> as we're as we're asking. So, uh, uh, Eric, I want to turn over to you with that beautiful lead-in with with a sort of very specific question that Krishna, I think, referred to your recent publication in Msphere, that new ASM journal, which is pretty cool. Uh, you you looked at vancomycin and microbiome disruption. Can you give us a quick overview and and findings and implications? Yeah, yeah. So the, the goal of the study, you know, has to do more actually with C. difficile diagnostics and to better understand the risk benefit of C. diff treatment. Um, if, you know, amongst those patients that are positive for C. difficile in stool by PCR, but negative by toxin enzyme amino assay. So what we did, you know, kind of at our center, we continue to use a toxin EIA as, as a standalone C. diff diagnostic. And so we, we screen negative stools by, by PCR to see who was PCR positive. And then we would approach these people um, into a, a double-blind randomized controlled trial of oral vancomycin versus placebo uh, for a 10-day course. And then, you know, looked at the outcomes. And, and, and you know, this study was not intended to be powered uh, for a clinical outcome. So, so the main outcomes had to do with the microbiome and antibiotic resistance and, and C. diff colonization. And so um, unfortunately we did not enroll as many people as we had hoped. Uh, I think we screened you know, literally thousands of charts, um, but ended up enrolling only 15 people and, and seven were, were randomized, I think to, to vancomycin and eight to placebo. Uh, I might have that flipped, but you know, some of the interesting findings that we had. Well, one is actually something that we did not expect to find. So we were expecting at the end of a 10-day course of, of vancomycin treatment that those people who received the vancomycin, you would have, um, you would not detect C. difficile at the end of treatment, but amongst those people who had received placebo, you would. We actually found no difference uh, and being able to detect C. difficile at the end of a 10-day course of vancomycin versus placebo with 80% still colonized with the, amongst those who received vancomycin versus 71% were still colonized if they had received placebo. So, so, so that was actually kind of a, a negative in regards to the vancomycin. You know, a potential benefit would be, well, maybe at least if they're colonized, you might reduce C. diff shedding and decrease risk for transmission to other patients. But that did not appear to be a potential benefit of treating these PCR-positive uh, toxin-negative uh, uh, patients. Uh, you know, we looked at microbiome disruption and, and not entirely surprising, we did find more microbiome disruption amongst those people who had received the oral vancomycin versus placebo. Uh, the difference actually was not huge, uh, in part because most of the people were still on antibiotics for other reasons. I, I think, you know, over half the people that we enrolled were uh, neutropenic patients, oncology patients, stem cell transplant patients, and so they were on other broad-spectrum antibiotics. But, but despite that, we still saw additional disruption caused by the uh, uh, vancomycin compared to placebo. Another thing that we found, again, not surprisingly, is we found that those people who received vancomycin had uh, more uh, higher concentrations of VRE in their stool and were more likely to contaminate their local environment with VRE than people who received placebo. And this actually persisted um, up to um, uh, you know four weeks after the vancomycin was stopped. And so, so that that 
disruption of the microbiome caused by the vancomycin, um, you know, had, had longer term effects, which again, might impact that person, potentially increasing the risk for VRE infection, but also might impact other patients, you know, contributing to VRE transmission since they're, they're, they're having more uh, contamination of the local environment with VRE. That's awesome. Yeah. Small study. I agree. Like not many patients, but lots of, lots of twists and turns to make some, some, some future decisions around. I think it was a, it was a good paper. Uh, Krishna, let's, let's broaden this out a little bit. I think so far we've sort of said microbiome disease, C. diff, vancomycin kills a lot of the microbiome. Phytoxomycin, you mentioned a little, little more narrow spectrum. So less disruption, all good things, but let's, let's go, let's, let's broaden out to other treatments. Can you, can you relate other C. diff treatments to their effect in the microbiome? Uh, FMT should be easy. I think Bezel talks about might take a little explaining. So sort of broaden our perspectives a little bit, please. Yeah. So um, yeah, FMT, I think, you know, the, the idea is you take a, a relatively unperturbed, healthy gut community from a donor or from a, some commercial product, such as the companies that have been developing these uh, that are in phase three studies and, and hopefully working towards FDA approval soon. And, and the idea is just to, to restore the patient's community to a pre-morbid state using this healthy gut community from the donor or one of these commercial stool products. We don't actually completely understand all the nuances of how this works or, and why, um, yeah, but uh, in, in some sense with C. difficile infection, at least we got a little bit lucky that this kind of untargeted FMT seems to do beautifully. Um, and that doesn't seem to be the case with other disease states uh, as much. Um, in terms of bezlotoximab, you know, this is an antitoxin B antibody. And as you may recall, that toxin production is central to the pathogenesis of C. difficile infection. And toxin B is, is, is commonly the one that um, is produced by um, the infecting strains. And it, it turns out that in a couple of nice um, uh, clinical trials, um, these investigators at Merck that um, uh, looked into bezlotoximab discovered that uh, when given during the initial course of infection, it can uh, reduce the risk of subsequent recurrence quite uh, remarkably. However, I, I am not completely sure what the mechanism of action uh, of this protection is. And I don't know that it is mediated to a large degree through the microbiome or that bezlotoximab has dramatic effects on the, the microbiome. And so maybe that's a deficiency in my knowledge. I don't know if Kevin or Eric, if you have any other additional insights into that. But yeah, I think uh, uh, broadly speaking, those are the two treatments that we have right now, other than the, uh, the typical medical management that we've been talking about to date. I think there are other emerging treatments that may have even less disruption of the microbiome or might even be microbiome protective. And so one that is making its way through the different phases of clinical trials is use of a beta-lactamase uh, uh, that is orally ingested and is gut-specific. Um, and what this allows you to do is to use, for example, say, ceftriaxone to successfully treat the patient's pneumonia. Um, but because the beta-lactamase is present, um, that ceftriaxone is degraded in the gut, and that results in minimal disruption to the gut community while preserving systemic levels and the ability to fight off the systemic infection. And so that's one way to kind of preserve the microbiome function, even in the face of use of a broad-spectrum antibiotic. Yeah, it's great. And I'll just add one, like, at, least, at the very least, benzotoximab doesn't cause dysbiosis, so you could just say at least it doesn't do that. Yeah, I think that's fair. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to, um, for the sake of time, Krishna and Eric, I'm going to skip question number six 
and listeners of this podcast can debate for years to come. I wonder what question number six is. <laughs> so let's move on to question number seven. This one's for you, Eric. Probably a, a, a quick thoughts on it. But the, the, obviously, this disease state is dysbiosis, and it's and it's antibiotics causing dysbiosis, a disrupted microbiome. So, do you see a day in the future where this becomes an adverse event? This dysbiosis is a consideration similar to kidney, liver damage, other other organ related toxicities. Do you see this being a future clinical decision point? Yeah, it, it, if it ever does, I think it's a long way off. Uh, you know, it has been discussed with in response to several. The question is, when you have a patient with an infection, you need to use an appropriate antibiotic to treat that infection. And currently, there are very few instances where we have antibiotics that are so narrow spectrum that will that it will target only that infecting organism and, and not have some friendly fire detriment to the to the to the microbiome. So so it's it's possible. Um, but and also I think there are other logistical hurdles is is you know we're still in the nascency of completely of truly understanding the role of the microbiome in disease states and really to have dysbiosis be identified as as maybe a, a poor prognostic marker, you need some some sort of hard clinical outcome where you could say these people with this dysbiosis based on this lab, whatever it may be, are at increased risk for this disease outcome. And, and we're still, you know, several steps away from, from having that. That's great. Well, I guess to wrap up, first and foremost, uh, Drs. Rao and DeBerkey, th- thank you for your insight and, and your wisdom uh, for both of these podcasts and this C. diff microbiome one. Specifically. Thank you, Kevin, for being an awesome host. Oh, I'm happy to do it. Uh, so uh, rapid fire, uh, sort of the ESPN 30-second zone here. Main points. So to finish off this podcast, do you see a future where antibiotic therapy is almost always given with some sort of microbiota replenishment, super probiotic, designer FMT, whatever the world might might be? Do you see this becoming a therapeutic? Uh, Eric, maybe you start. I, I, there's definitely the potential for getting to that point, but but you know, based on all existing products I'm aware of, you know, it's not going to be possible for everyone um, for a variety of reasons. If you can't take PO or what have you, you know, just just how these these products um, protect the microbiome or how you would replenish the microbiome. But but we're getting there. I think we are going to have products. Um, and, and probably products that, that are going to have indications to prevent specific disease states beyond just C. diff infection. Uh, but, but again, we're, we're a few steps away from, from that point. Great. Uh, Krishna, same question. Yeah, I guess uh, I, I agree with that. Uh, I think this may be a real outcome of the current research directions that we, you know, we give something like this protective, um, uh, you know, microbiome preparation or, or live biotherapeutic at the same time that we're giving an antibiotic. Um, you know, the probiotic literature is all over the place and it's, it's hard to parse uh, and summarize it uh, really well. But there does seem to be some signal that in the right kind of patient, there could be a role for a probiotic uh, protecting them against uh, C. difficile infection when they're getting their, their antibiotic uh, course. Um, but I, I'm suspecting that we aren't heading towards a, a one-size-fits-all type of approach, but more of a designer approach that may be not only disease-specific, potentially also even patient-specific. Uh, as I've mentioned, um, uh, you know, I think in some sense we got lucky with C. difficile in that it's not very picky about the kind of you know, biotherapeutic or, or fecal transplant preparation you give, but many other disease states may be a lot more nuanced and picky about that. And so I, I think um, some approach like that, we may also see people 
um, starting to bank their stool before they go into the hospital to save their own stool so that they can get it afterward after they get the course of antibiotics. Um, and as we talked about, there's other approaches to protect the microbiome that don't involve uh, live microbes, such as these uh, non-absorbable uh, beta-lactamases. Uh, but yeah, I think I, I think something like um, you know the super probiotic, or at least uh, a very uh, a designer probiotic that's disease and potentially also patient specific, is a real potential outcome of this research. But we're in the very early stages. Uh, wonderful. Okay, thanks again, uh, Krishna and Eric. Uh, for listeners, uh, thanks for joining us for the ASHP Advantage podcast, engaging the experts. Don't forget to check out the website www.ashpadvantage.com backslash high risk C diff for our webinars, podcasts, and blog posts. We hope you enjoyed today's conversation and be sure to subscribe to ASHP podcast through your favorite podcast provider. Uh, thanks again. Thanks for joining us for the ASHP Advantage podcast, engaging the experts. Be sure to visit ashp.org forward slash podcast to discover more great episodes, access show notes, and download the episode transcript. If you loved the episode and want to hear more, be sure to subscribe, rate, or leave a review. Join us next time for more expert perspectives on ASHP Official. 